Hello, Texans, and welcome to the show that gets you in touch with your Texans from inside the building at RG Stadium, the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer with you, joined tonight by John McClain. John Harris will be with us later. Plenty to talk about tonight, but let's kick it off with the General John, Jack Easterby. Let's go over some Texan stories of the week. Jack Easterby, hired by the team, formerly with the Patriots, Executive Vice President of Team Development. Your thoughts on his acquisition. First thing I noticed about him was Sunday, Mike Reese, who does a tremendous job covering the Patriots for ESPN.com, wrote in his Sunday notebook about multiple teams were after Easter, including the Texans. They hired him as executive vice president of team development, and he just praised the heck out of him. And then I tweeted a story on Patriots.com, not sure when it was done, quoting a bunch of players about how valuable he is to them. And yeah, he's worked in, in NFL. He's worked in uh, scouting. He's worked in different departments, decided he needed a different calling, went to theology school, and uh, he's a ch- he was a chaplain there. They call him character coach in there somewhere. But I think he's the kind of guy, he comes in here and he listens to anything players, coaches, they want to talk to him about. He's confidant. He's a psychologist. He's a therapist. Players of the Patriots saying you could call him at 2 in the morning. They knew he was asleep, but he would always act like he was awake. And then how he played a key role in helping them win three Super Bowls. I mean, that's really impressive right there. This is the Patriots, and this is a guy that they know about in Boston if you read enough Patriot material, but it wasn't like he was a national name, although people in the league knew him based people on what you just said about other did, teams. Because a lot of teams were after him. He was in Kansas City where Romeo Cornell was. He helped them get through uh, Javon, Belcher. Javon Belcher's murder-suicide. And they brought him to New England right after the Aaron Hernandez uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, arrest. Arrest and, <laughs> and uh, helped him get through, I think, the suicide and all that. But if multiple teams are after a guy, then that's good. And I think another thing that shows is that the McNairs, now with Janice and Cal, if Bill O'Brien and Brian Gaines say, we need some extra money for this, they want to know who it is and why, according to O'Brien, and then they'll tell them what they think. And, and, they said they're not never going to let resources, financial resources, stand in the way of O'Brien and Gain, Jamie Roots, who runs administrative side, what they think they need to do to make this organization better. This is a good example. Some of it you might not know it's him. It just might make little bits of differences in team performance and individual players' performances and coaches' performances maybe. I think that uh, we will never know the story I can't remember if that story on Patriots.com had quotes by him or if it just by other people, but uh, you don't see many going on and on about how much somebody's meant to them. Yeah, change their life. Whether it's a team basis or an individual basis. Mm-hmm. So uh, it looks like a really good hire, but the Texans will never know exactly how much he means to what happens here except when people tell us because he's certainly not going to be telling us how much he means to the team. John, Andre Howe retires, and it was a surprise to many, including me, and my first question was, is it health-related? He was very clear to say, no, it's not health-related. He's just done. Your thoughts, your level of surprise when you found out the news? I was very surprised, as I'm sure the Texans were, because they thought they were going to have uh, Tyron Matthew, Justin Reed, with Andre Howe coming off the bench. Matthew went to Kansas City. They signed to Sean Gibson, which I think was a really good signing, mainly because he's been a productive starter for Jacksonville, but also he's done a terrific job when asked to cover tight ends, and the Texans could not. 
and since A.J. Boyer left. And so um, how doing this, they get to find a third safety. I know they got some guys on the roster, but whether it's a third, fifth-round pick, another veteran, there's other safeties out there, they've got to get a third safety because a lot of times they play three. Yep. And uh, so I think that uh, it's great for Andre with the Vanderbilt. He's a smart guy. He's really popular. You can imagine the mental stress that was on him last year when he was diagnosed in May. And when he came back and then he had to play and he stayed there all the time like he was a player while he was undergoing his treatment. And it was an amazing success story. And now everybody wishes Andre Howe the best uh, for the rest of his life. John, somebody who didn't play last year for the Texans, but he played previously, Shane Leckler, announced his retirement. He got a lot of love. What about Leckler calling it quits finally? Um, he said when he left here, you know, he told him he planned to keep playing. He said on the way back to his home uh, out in uh, Richmond, he thought, you know, I'm done. I've played 18 years. That's enough. He's got two daughters involved in multiple softball teams and sports. He and his wife, Aaron have their hands full with them. Mm -hmm. And so Aaron threw him a surprise retirement party. He said he never had closure. He never talked to anybody to make it official. And she gave him this surprise party for 180 people, including many Texans. It was Redneck Country Club. And he said that a couple of people in there he just talked to that afternoon, like, hey, dude, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to so-and-so's house. What are you doing? He said, ah, Aaron's got me going to some friend's birthday party out at Redneck, and he didn't really want to go. And when they got there, they went into a different entrance than they go to. And he said, hey, honey, why are we going through this entrance? She said, I don't know, because so-and-so, the woman, she asked us to. And when he went in and they yelled surprise, his first thought is, oh, no, I told you we shouldn't have come in this entrance. (laughs) We've screwed up somebody's surprise party. And then he looks around and he thinks, I know all these people. Oh, my goodness, this is for me. Awesome. And he was just amazed she kept it quiet because she's been working on this for weeks. She called me weeks ago and asked if we wanted to come out there afterward and do a story with Shane because he was ready to talk and make it official. The coolest thing, and number one, Mark, I'm hoping that he will be part of the class of 2020 of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. I'd give the Texans three in a row. Gary Kubiak, Andre Johnson, I was there for both of them, and Shane Leckler. And the thing he was the proudest of, besides punting 18 years, he went out on top. Third highest gross, second highest net. He had the third most inside the 20, the third most fair catches. He had the second fewest touchbacks. Chargers, Vikings, Steelers called him multiple times with the Steelers. And he said he thought about Roethlisberger and Rivers and Cousins and playing with them. And he, you know, I'm done. I've played long enough. Well, when you know, you know. And it's very different when you look at a guy like Andre Howell, who was drafted in 2014, and Leckler, who was drafted in the medieval times. They retire for different reasons, different circumstances. But I always think the players, they just have this sense of, yeah, I know I'm done. He's, he said to, um, it wasn't like I got they kept a mediocre punter over me. He said Trevor's really good, and he's going to be good for a long time. So he said, you always want to go out on your terms. And when they released him at first, it kind of upset him, but then he quickly got over it. Bill O'Brien was at the party. And uh, so he is in a good place right now. I asked him, I said, what about the Pro Football Hall of Fame? He said, I'd be lying if I said I don't think about it. 
That's a goal of mine. I, I can't control it. I've done everything I can control. The key is now, is it enough? When does the clock start ticking? After he's, last year he's or got, right now? No, he's got four more years. Four more then years. Then he's eligible for the first time. Now, I don't think we're going to put a – the only the first specialist I think we're going to put in on first ballot, depending on who's, who's the nominees are, if he ever retires, Adam Vinatieri. Yeah. And, um, you know, he may never retire. I may be dead before he retires. But I think he's a lock. I think Shane will follow his buddy, Ray Guy. They punted 27 years for the Raiders together. And uh, I think he will be the second punter. There's really no reason that people can keep him out. You know, they talk about – I saw some arguments about Gronk not being a first ballot because he only played nine years. Shane punted 18 years and was on top at the end. And I think that will really bode well. And that stat, like – in his 20s, he averaged 47 yards. In his 30s, he averaged 49. In his in his 40s, he averaged 48. And there's a lot more to it, as you know, than a gross. But I'm hoping he'll be in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame next year and then in the Pro Football Hall of Fame sometime in the next six or seven years. Yeah, gross punting can sometimes be a misleading stat, but he was phenomenal, and he certainly deserves to get in. Speaking of Hall of Fames, yep. it's, it's good for you that Andre Johnson didn't say he wanted to be a play-by-play guy for the Texans. It's good for me. He, yeah, because he said he wants to be a general manager or run a run an organ run a team. And he gets the job. That means Brian Gain and Jamie Roots better look out. <laughs> In fact, they ought to say, Andre, you know what? You should want to do a play-by-play. I noticed that Brad Sham was up there emceeing this evening. Yeah, Brad emcees it every year. Okay. He's been doing that for a long time. Is he in, by the way? Who? Brad Sham. No, we don't put people. We only did that one time, put um, uh, media into the Pro Football of Fame. That was the way that came about. Dave Campbell, who was executive director of a selection committee, had to go to a funeral, asked me to run it. I came in there. Campbell would never hear about us making – media eligible while he was not there we changed the bylaws and we said a one-time thing we're going to vote and we did and then it went so long he came by after the funeral to talk to the people well who'd y'all nominate and he walks in and it got real quiet and brad sham said mclean you need to tell him and nobody wanted to tell him i said dave uh you're going into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in a special ceremony. As he should. And, but he said, oh, no, we're not. Media's not supposed to be in there. I said, well, they are. He said, well, we'll do something like that. And his wife laying down to him. He said, he loves it. He just won't say so. Yeah. And we did it in conjunction with the, Tex- the Touchdown Club of Houston. We did it at the JW Marriott. I it. And that's right. You did. You remember it's Dave Campbell, Mickey Herskowitz, Dan Jenkins, Blackie Sherrod, current, the late current tips, Frank, the late Frank Fallon, Jack Dell from Texas Tech and Vern Lundquist, those eight, and what an incredible night! And Vern was there. And if we, if we, we said that was like 2007 or eight. Yeah. That we said we'll do it again someday, and if we do, I would think, well, Brad Sham's predecessor, Frank Gleber, the first voice of the Cowboys. I grew up listening to him. I would think Frank would go in before Brad. There's still some icons in Texas journalism out there, but it was a very cool deal. Brad's got to get in. you got to get in. No, I, Give me another 40 I, years. I'll go I'll in. I'll be dead. I hope. I please. Mine I'll still be, be working. Mine would be long after I'm gone. Uh, the, the ceremony is about 1,000 people. Andre disclosed in uh, the press conference that his goal, he's got a goal of being a general manager or running a team. 
but he knows he's a long way. That's one reason he wanted to get an organization. Mm-hmm. Brian Gaines got him looking at receivers. He's doing a little scouting. Bill O'Brien will have him doing a lot of different things when they get on the field. And he said, I'm hoping to take advantage of this opportunity. He said, when I got, he said, when I was in college, I want to play pro football. And then when I got entrenched there, then I started thinking, what am I going to do after my career's over? Well, he's had two good years off. Now he's ready to work, roll up his sleeves, and he's here with the Texans, and I think that's a great thing. And I thought Janice McNair, when I interviewed her, I asked her what she thought about that, bringing these four players back, Andre Johnson, Brian Cushing, Keith Dent, T.J. Yates. She said, I think it's great. I think it makes us better. I want them to feel appreciated for everything they've done for us. And she didn't say this, but if everybody's so happy with it, Mark, it wouldn't surprise me if next year O'Brien doesn't add another one or two. Well, it's strange seeing Andre Johnson every day again. I and, bet. In a good way. And it's in a different context. You know, he's one of the guys now upstairs. So is Brian Cushing, one of the staff people. TJ Yates, same thing. These are guys I'm used to seeing around here, but in a very different way. So this is kind of cool <laughs> to see them as employees. The players are employees too, but they're players. They just have a different vibe about that. I forgot to ask Andre, what is it like to get dressed every day and not have 40 members of the media standing there? watching you yeah i asked him one time what that was like because when he would come out and he would have a towel on and he would go to his locker and he would turn his back and look at the locker and we're standing there talking watching him get dressed and i'm thinking why are we here why aren't we at the other end of the dressing room why are we not over there and i asked him one time how does it feel Every day you come out here, you got to get dressed in front of us. He said, I've been doing it so long, I didn't even notice y'all. Even at the University of Miami, they do it. So that's I that. guess when you're an athlete, you're used to that so much. And, of course, they got used to women in the locker rooms a couple of decades ago. And it uh, and you miss seeing him in the dressing room. And I don't see him upstairs, but it was great seeing him at the Hall of Fame. I told everybody, you do not need to worry about his speech going long. Because usually they have seven minutes, and some of them go 20, 25 minutes. And Andre say, four took minutes? four minutes. <laughs> and Lloyd Phillips, a great lineman from Arkansas, said, I'll give my last two or three to Jason Witten. And a great story, Greg Swindell, who grew up here from Sharpstown, was an incredible high school pitcher. And yeah. when he was at University of Texas, he was just as good as Roger Clemens. And, of course, he was a high number one pick, pitched 17 years, including three or four for the Astros. Greg was the first person. I have ever seen start crying at the news conference. And and it meant so much to him. He was overwhelmed. He His dad, his mom was there. His dad's gone. He talked about his dad. He and his wife had gotten divorced. They were back together. And he was just so appreciative, not just of that honor, but just, I think, life in general. And we're like, my goodness, if he can't get through this, how's he going to get through his speech? But it was so emotional, and it was so cool. That's why... If people have a chance, like, uh, say, Shane Leckler's up there next year, Texans fans should come and, and watch him because I think Shane is – Shane, you know, he's about as Texan as you can get. Sure. Coming from East Bernard, College Station, detoured to Oakland, back to Houston, all that time in Oakland. He's living here in Katy and then now out in uh, Richmond. And, and I, he is definitely deserving on the first time he's eligible. Lots more to get into with John McClain and John Harris will be along. We'll talk about the Green Bay drama and plenty of the AAF. What happened to them? It's Texans Radio. Continuing on the program here for the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, Mark Vandermeer and John McClain. John, this week, Alfred Blue, drafted by the Texans in 2014, signs as a free agent with the Jaguars. What about that Texans running back situation? 
a little bit different now. Blue was unlikely to come back, but you never knew how it was all going to go down like you didn't know last year. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, they didn't try to keep him. They've only lost yeah. one player they tried to keep, and that was Tyron Matthew. And um, I think it's great. They're, they have not re-signed T.J. Yellen. And I was kind of hoping the Texans would give him a look. They know they know him very well. They've seen him twice a year for four years. He's 25 years old. He hasn't signed with anybody. Maybe he wants too much money. Maybe he'll end up back in Jacksonville. There's no guarantee that, that Alfred's going to make the team. Right. I hope he does because we all like him, respect him. You know, he had a, a good enough career here, certainly better than anybody thought where he was drafted, and uh, everybody wishes him the very best. Now they've got another opening. I don't think they're going to sign a veteran. Teams don't sign many veterans at this time of the offseason. They're waiting to see what happens in the draft. Maybe they'll shock us and use a second or third round pick on a running back. I don't think so. I think it's going to be tackles, corners in my mock draft. It's on TexasSportsNation.com right now. I have the first pick in the second round, Jerry Tillery, the defensive lineman from Notre Dame, I mean, he's not going to be there, but I just try to change it up every week. First round, I have Greedy Williams for the first time, a cornerback, and I have a corner, Sean Bunting from Central Michigan. Right. My other second-round pick. But um, I, they're going to get a back somewhere, whether it's a low pick or whether it's another free agent, they got to have a third one. You know, they got Buddy help. They didn't give Buddy a chance last year. but uh, and, and a lot of people uh, – are talking about trying to trade for uh, what's the Cleveland backs? My name's my mind's gone. Duke Johnson. Duke Johnson. I don't know why they would trade him. Kareem Hunt's not there for eight games. They can't play Nick Chubb all the time unless Johnson is so unhappy about them signing Hunt. They got to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And if they get rid of him like uh, the Bears did Jordan Howard for a six, that could be a five. I'd be all over him. Boy, Cleveland, there's a lot of noise coming out of Cleveland. Isn't it? And, you know, people are expecting great things from them, and I get why, because they have a lot of names now. Mayfield looked good last year. But that OBJ press conference was not exactly impressive to me in the way of making me feel like everything's going to be harmonious there. I was asked on a show about how long I think they'll get him where he's happy. And I said, Maybe one season because everybody's so fired up and he's got his buddy Jarvis Landry there and their coach from LSU, coaches receivers, is there. But Odell Beckham Jr. is just doesn't seem to be a happy guy, maybe off the field. But Freddie Kitchens is a first-year coach. He's never had to manage these kind of egos. Right. It could be one of those deals. Say they start slow and OBJ's not getting the ball like he wants. Maybe they run the ball more. Than they did. Is he going to keep quiet about that? I doubt it. Antonio Callaway, you know that guy has got in trouble in college. He got in trouble last year. They got so much natural talent, though. The key, other than injuries, is how can Freddie Kitchens, who has never been considered a head coaching candidate until late last season, when somebody there had Greg Williams up there as the interim coach, and everybody knew he wanted to be the head coach. And when Kitchens was in there being interviewed, somebody said. Well, hey, Freddie, you have any interest in a head coaching job? And he kind of blew it off like, no, you know, I'm, I'm concentrating on this. And then near the end of the season, they asked him again, and he said, well, yes. And then he started campaigning for it, and basically Baker Mayfield got him that job because of the job he did coaching Mayfield, which was outstanding. It's really incredible when you think, all right, everyone knew Hugh Jackson was on a short leash at best. 
But then you look at Greg Williams is in the building. Todd Haley's in the building. You see how they handled things during hard knocks. You thought at least one of those guys would get the job, maybe, or at least strong consideration. At least you thought this. If there's any internal guy getting that job, it's going to be one of those two. Before the season started. I thought, you know, Haley's not a good guy. I know Greg Williams. A lot of people think he's a raving lunatic, but I I like Greg. I've known him since 1990. He did a tremendous job there last year, and everybody admitted it. Now he's with the Jets. I think people want the Browns to be good because they've been bad for so long. When I came in covering the NFL, they were good. Yeah, They were good every year. Red right, 88. Brian Sipes end zone yep. interception in 1980 to Mike Davis of the Raiders in the end zone when Sam Tigliano should have kicked a field goal. They drive. I was there for the fumble by Ernest Biner yeah. in Denver, and, and they were so good back at that period. And then the new Browns, of course, fell on hard times after Belichick had gone to the playoffs one time in his five years. And, and so the league is better with them being good. And I think now it's such an incredible story to go one in 15, 0-16, and then you almost make the playoffs. Now some people are picking you to win the AFC North and maybe be a Super Bowl contender. John, the AAF, out of business now. Real big sports disaster here as you have players not getting checks. Lots of people unpaid. It's a real mess as they folded up with games remaining in their inaugural season. I'll say this. The Carolina Panthers owner mm-hmm. had pulled the plug on them. He had taken over some other investors. It's pretty obvious they started too soon. I'll say this for the XFL and Oliver Luck and Vince McMahon. I don't think for a second they're going to make it more than a couple of years. It just depends on how much a billionaire wants, how many millions he wants to lose. Right. And um, this is good for the XFL because they'll have tape to watch these guys. They'll know what their shortcomings were. You know, what they tried to do was cut back on expenses. They weren't letting everybody eat on the team plane. And they thought that that might help, but then it started where they couldn't function in the way you need to function to try to compete. And now people aren't going to get paid. Michael McCann of Sports Illustrated wrote a great thing about the legalities that I read today about the even though the league didn't last long, the lawsuits could last for years and pointed out what they all were. And I never paid any attention to it. I'm sorry they're out of business. I wish it had worked. But um, it it doesn't surprise me because since I've been covering the NFL going back to 1977, I've seen so many leagues come in and and fold because they couldn't keep up with the NFL. They all want to be the American Football League. They want to compete. They want to have a merger. They want to have teams. I think these guys had the right idea, though. They They wanted to stay in the spring. They did. USFL had filthy rich owners. Yep. And it was going to work in the spring. And then they started signing players coming out of college yep. like Reggie White and Mike Rozier. And then some owner named Trump convinced them to go against the NFL. Some, it backfired. They got $3 out of it to split among the ownership. And that was well-funded. Yeah. And But no wealthy person likes to lose money. That's how they get to be wealthy. That's the thing. And they're not going to draw well enough in most cases. And whatever they draw is not going to really pay for everything they need to pay for. And if there's no TV money, you're dead. How are you going to make money? The only way it would survive, and I, I don't know anybody that doesn't think the NFL needs a developmental league. Problem you have, say, with eight teams, 
you could have you could have each team representing four NFL teams, but they may play four different systems. Yeah. You'd like to have one where, say, the Texans had a minor league team in San Antonio, and they played the offense the same way Bill O'Brien does. They play the defense the same way Romeo Cornell, a 3-4, and players who played there uh, didn't need that big mental adjustment on the technical stuff when they got to the NFL. And the Texans would supply them players, and they would sign their own as well, practice squad players. You, know, you couldn't force veterans to go, even if they hadn't played much. But And the NFL would fund it. It'd be on TV, and it would, it would, they'd still lose money. And that's why they folded NFL Europe. NFL Europe had a lot of players play in the NFL, Kurt Warner being the, the, the biggest but owners don't like losing money. But I think the networks still like the viewership. They did. And I think CBS did like that it. Wasn't the, that wasn't the issue So at here's, all. here's what the, the NFL could do. In the next round of negotiations, which are going to be interesting because of all the digital media out there, but you say, look, we want the developmental league as well. We'll offer this to you as programming. We need a few extra bucks to at least cover the cost and make a little extra money. And, and for the players, too, obviously. So that could work, I guess, but maybe they just don't want to water it, down it the negotiation. It could work, and it would be good for the NFL, but they're going to lose money unless they could find a way to make money on gambling. That was a big oh deal here that yeah, people who gamble on the NFL couldn't wait to gamble on the American Football Alliance. Yeah. And I don't think that worked out like that. Maybe some more states will approve gambling by the time the uh, collective new collective bargaining agreement is in place. And that thing about the gambling app and that owner, that was not true. Mike Florio wrote about that today. He doesn't have access to that just because he lost $70 million of the $250 million he pledged. I told you a million times, why in the world would a wealthy person want to invest in a minor football league? Right. There's, there's no notoriety to it, or very little anyway. They like a big splash. It's not a big splash. Unless you absolutely love to donate money to that kind of entertainment, then what's the point? They got a lot of publicity. A lot of publicity, besides being on network, mm-hmm. NFL Network, and who else? Some other network. Well, CBS broadcast. CBS broadcast them. But, they got a lot of attention on social media, mm-hmm. in newspapers, on talk shows. They couldn't have gotten any more publicity. And that owner that owned the league from the Carolina Panthers was acting like if the NFLPA didn't give them the bottom of the rung players, they'd go out of business. You think all of a sudden more people are going to show up to see bottom of the rung NFL players? Of course not. Maybe it could have been the Budweiser Football League or the Coke Football League or something like that. Maybe. Maybe that's not a good name. The MGM Football League. John, what about the Chronicle? What do you have going on? Let's see. Aaron Wilson and I, we have a new mock draft that was posted Wednesday. We have a podcast that's posted earlier today. We discuss the draft, Andre Howe, a lot of things you and I have just discussed. And then Sunday I'm writing a column about the Texans and the rest of the AFC South. Nice. Thank you very much, John. Thank you very much, Mark. That's the General John McClain. John Harris joins us next. Let's talk about the Green Bay 30 for 30 to be. They're not officially announcing that there will be one, but there has to be, right, with all this Green Bay drama. And we'll get John's thoughts on everything else going on with the Texans. It's coming up on Texans Radio. Here in the Hyundai Texans Radio studio, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you now. As, Johnny, there's so much to discuss here. I don't even know where to begin because when we go around the league here and look at Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, wow. Uh, the 30 for 30. When's it coming out? That's, I've got to see yeah. this. It's It's got to. I mean, it's got to. If they can get enough people to talk about it, I, and I think Rodgers has to retire first, but this article that came out in Bleacher Report that we're talking about, 
and they go over the decade of McCarthy and Rodgers together, and yeah, there was a lot of success, but the the feeling is there could have been more. That McCarthy underperformed as a head coach with such a talent like Rodgers, but Rodgers is not exactly exonerated. They talk about how he's difficult to live with. He holds grudges. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. This is me sort of paraphrasing, yep. paraquoting, if you will, if that's a word, the article, just to kind of get you up to speed so it's not like anybody gets out unscathed here no but i think a lot more blame goes on mccarthy than rogers yeah ty dunn who wrote it for bleacher report did a tremendous reporting job i mean it's a long one you're gonna you're gonna need some time you're gonna need some you know 15 to 20 minutes um I yeah read, i got i read it eat lunch today and i was like wow i finished lunch before i could finish the article it's the kind of thing i started on my phone and i was regretting that i started it on my phone it was the same way because i thought i could get through it and it was just like it's a it's a There's long one a lot it's there. like a book and greg jennings is is a guy that is quoted yep. often mm-hmm. in that story and it's just i it, it it goes to show i think the one thing that i took out of there mark is there's so much that the general public doesn't see at yep. all yep. as it pertains to professional organizations. So when you see decisions made, when you see, well, you know, they're not going to sign that guy or, hey, they want to they sign this guy or, you know, they didn't, didn't have more success than maybe they should have. Not to say that every single situation is that way. I think this one is unique for a few different reasons, but this – I think it shows you that there's so much that you have to take into account that you you can't see. Right. That even we're in the, we're in this building and there's some stuff right. that that we don't know that we're never going to see. So the the general public doesn't see that and they you know they don't have that opportunity. Uh, and I mean I think that's good because I think there's some things as a team that just need to stay within the team and with the players on the team. But this one it's sort of mystifying and and obviously I before I moved to Wisconsin, I lived in in uh, before I moved to Texas. I lived in Wisconsin, so I grew up as a Packers fan. So, besides the Texans, I want to see what the Packers are doing. How are they doing? And I'm obviously a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. And it was frustrating when they didn't beat the Seahawks in 2014. Mm-hmm. You know, when they couldn't pull that off, when they couldn't stop anybody uh, in 2016 against the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons just rolled over them in the NFC Championship game. They had opportunities. You know, 2011 was probably the best opportunity. They go 15 and one just rolling through everybody, and then the Giants come in and just essentially lay the smack down over, you know, the first 30 minutes, and that game's over. Yeah. I mean, it's done. It was done by halftime, basically, and they hit the Hail Mary, and that was it. It was just a group that you thought should have won more championships. I think it goes to also show it is tough to win a championship. But oh, as you read this article, you just realize – in. Ty Dunn didn't spare anybody. I mean, he nope. he had general manager Ted Thompson. He talked about McCarthy. Talked about talked Thompson about falling asleep in meetings lately or yeah. toward the end. Talked about McCarthy getting massages during Saturday meetings. Mm-hmm. And PFT got my attention when they had the headline. I think it's uh, I think it's still up here if I could scroll back. Report, Mike McCarthy routinely skipped team meetings for massages. Now, massages are a buzzword in the NFL right now. Because of the big story in sure. South Florida with a certain team owner. Yeah. So I was thinking, what happened? Well, it's just, you know, in the facility. Yeah. This is a therapeutic thing. Mm-hmm. But the the damage is done here that, and it didn't happen all the time, they claim, but sometimes. And, and if McCarthy was checking out that way, well, that obviously has an effect on the culture and the team and the performance. Well, it's the type of thing that if you if you won and you won a Super Bowl, nobody would even even 
care yeah. about. You wouldn't even mention. But when you're you're talking about okay, what went wrong? You're looking for all that. Well, there was this, and then there was this, and then there was oh yeah, he used to get massages too. Okay, throw that on top too. Yep. You know, it's like right. throw it all in, and away you go. And I think that was part of it. I think the the interesting aspect as I read through it was that that was one as I mentioned earlier. But I think the other one is okay. Aaron Rodgers is still there. And this report painted Rodgers as a very sensitive individual. Like, he heard everything. And I thought one of the most interesting pieces of that were the rookie wide receivers. He tells a story in there about Equinemius St. Brown, whose dad worked out Will Fuller Yeah, um, last last offseason. Equinemius went to Notre Dame, and uh, they know Will, and so Will worked out with Equinemius and his dad, John Brown. And John Brown was a former bodybuilder. So Equinemius gets drafted, I think, in the sixth round to the Packers. And so they had young receivers last year outside of Devontae Adams. They had Devontae Adams, 169 targets in large part because the rookie receivers were kind of caught in a quandary because the receivers knew that they had to stay on the good side of Aaron Rodgers, but they would have to defy the coaching staff to do it. And one of the one of the wow. sources told the story about how in the game against the Patriots – Rodgers told St. Brown to run a corner route. Or no, to run a post. He told him to run the post. And he'll hit you know, hit him on the post. Well, he goes to the post and he's actually open. But the route that was called for was actually a corner route. So Rodgers gets pressure. He throws the corner route. Oh, gosh. But he told the receiver, but he told to, the receiver run the to run the post. And the coaches are saying, why didn't you run the corner around? Like, what are you doing? The play call was to go to the yeah, corner. You can't function like that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, and, that's that's just so difficult. I mean, I, that that story, you know, and, and it really for the rookie receivers was really frustrating because the rookies are like, do I, I, I've got to do what my coaches tell me to do, yeah. but then i got to stay in the good graces of the quarterback, and he's telling me to do something else, but are then I'm coming over to the sidelines and I'm getting reamed for this? Like, it, that was bad. Johnny, are you surprised it went on that long? Because that, w- that was my surprise. If it was that bad, they said it was bad from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, from the from the O's, it was bad. Right. So right. if it was that bad, I know they were winning at first, and I guess it's the frog in boiling water. We're winning. It's okay. Right. You know, you get close. You're like, well, we'll do better next time. And before you know it, you have a few losing seasons here and there and not as much success as you want. And then, you know, now you got to make the change. So maybe that's how it happened. But – when you look at it from this angle, you say, how could it have gone on that long? Look, what you were just describing there, it's the old Bump Phillips, two players aren't worth a damn, one that never does what he's told, one right. that only does what he's told. You expect your quarterback to audible, to call his own thing mm-hmm. every once in a while, to, to execute, and you forgive a lot of that because, yeah, he's got to be, especially somebody like Aaron Rodgers, yeah. he's got to have some autonomy, if not all autonomy, but it just sounds horrible when you cannot be transparent with that kind of thing. Right. Like, I told him to run the post because this is the right route, and, right. you know, the, I'll take the heat for this. Well, I I think there are a couple things. Number one, I think other organizations, it may have happened. Mm-hmm. I think there would have been a divorce a lot earlier had there been other organizations. But I think the Packers, the Steelers – Sort of always prided themselves on, you know, we're family. You know, this is yeah. a, this is a big family. I mean, especially in Green Bay, the community that is there. Remember the list, the waiting list for season tickets. I mean, just we went up to Lambeau in 2016. I mean, I grew up in that, so I kind of know that's kind of how the Packers are perceived. You know, they don't do 
what the uh, the rest of the NFL does. You know, they stick by their guys. They're loyal. It's a family. And I think that was probably a little that was a little bit of it. But I think they made one move in moving in and asking Ted Thompson to retire. And then they brought in Brian Gunnikust, and he's done a, a much better job at getting free agents and doing those sort of things. But I think it just really kind of came to a head last year. That's when I think it was really, truly exposed. I think the winning probably covered some of that up. Mm-hmm. And then when the winning went away, like last year, for good, then I think it was, okay, this is the time we've got to make a change. We've got to, we've got to move on from this. And I think when I when I read that and I took out of it, nobody was perfect in that situation, but I think it proves – that it can be difficult to coach a very sensitive, driven megastar like Aaron Rodgers. Like how difficult that can be. And I know people say, well, what about Tom Brady? I don't think Tom Brady is wound like Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is a much different kind of individual. Bill Belichick could go into a room and rip Tom Brady, and Tom Brady could come out of there getting four or five things out of what Belichick said and improve on them. Whereas Aaron Rodgers, from reading the article, would look at it and say, oh, he hates me or he doesn't care for yeah. me and I still got this chip on my shoulder. So I think it's it's just a study in, in human dynamics and the human condition of how two stubborn, sensitive guys kind of came together and really couldn't after a while. It just it was time for a divorce. I just think it probably came a year or two too late. Fascinating story in Bleacher Report about that, about the Packers. All right, where headlines can be misleading. Broncos expect Vic Fangio to run an old-school 1960s-style training camp. This is on PFT. Now, this was Philip Lindsay saying that he wouldn't be surprised if it's like 1960s back in the day we needed because Fangio apparently told the Broncos it's going to be a tough camp. He's he's an incoming head coach. What's he going to say? Yeah. This is going to be easy. This is Club Med. It's no problem, guys. Bring your flip-flops. We're going to have a good time. Of course he's going to say stuff like that. And PFT feels like they've got this big angle on this, this big hot take, like, well, you can't run a 1960s camp in 2019. No kidding. You know what's funny, though, Johnny? When the Texans started up, Fangio was part of that, right? Yeah. Dom Capers, and I've said this many times, he would have two-a-days because it was still allowed back then, but he would always have two meals in between a practice. You'd go morning and night, then the next day you'd go one practice, then the next day you'd go two-a-days with morning and night. He kind of did it like that. Interesting, yeah. So he didn't want to burn out the guys. He knew about the heat. He planned the schedule well in advance, uh, so he was doing the best he could. But they would – I think they practiced in the afternoon a few times. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Anyway, uh, camp was tougher then. But I remember a lot of whatever old-timers were around then saying, oh, guys, today have it so easy. This is going to happen till the end of time. Always. The old think it's just like everyone making fun of the millennials. All these darn millennials. Now the millennials are making fun of the Gen Zers because why not? So you're always going to have the old saying, the young have it too easy. We've got to make it tough like the way we had it. To hear my generation say this is hilarious because my generation, we heard it from our parents. Think about how many times, and I and I when I moved to Texas in 1983. At that time, we didn't have the the high school team didn't have water breaks. They just gave them ice. Jeez. They at least got ice. But there was a time when it was thought, "Don't give them water; it toughens them up." Yeah, how does that work? So things change. I mean, yeah. they change. I mean, I remember going through two day practices here in, in growing up in Houston, and they're miserable. They're miserable. Oh, I they mean, gotta be. They were oh, ju- they, it was the high rough. school kids. It was 
so it was so rough. And then we always finished with like anywhere between twelve to twenty forties at the end, and it was just brutal. And we tried; they tried to schedule them in the morning and then later in the afternoon, so we didn't get as much heat. But you either now, later in the afternoon is brutal. Matter. You got to wait till like ten p.m. if I you want to get a break. It was tough, but I don't. I don't look at it. I don't look at guys now and go, "Oh, they've got it easy." They're just doing. They're doing things differently. Back then, you would practice two or three times a day. You didn't have as many meetings. It's funny because O'Brien, you know, he's a tough guy and everything, and he's out there. Get a drink. Yeah, you know, hydrate. I mean, how much that's changed. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, before it was like, no, nobody gets water. The Junction Boys. Yeah, nobody got water. That's it's a sign of toughness. And now it's like, if you denied somebody water at practice, can you imagine? Oh, it would just be well. They they just know that the, the risks are too great. And you All can't. Right. But look, as far as the. I do think the Broncos need a little kick in the backside. Yeah. And I think Fangio will help give that to them. I, I feel like, I mean, we played him. I felt like we we weren't even at 100%. I feel like we pushed him around a little bit up there, even though we only won by two. But I, I think the Broncos need a little kick in the backside. I think they need it. That was still not early on in the winning streak. But was that after the bye? No, the Redskins was, right was after the bye. before the bye. Right before the bye. Right before the bye. Went into that bye with that missed McManus <laughs> field goal. It was so beautiful. <laughs> it was awesome. That was awesome. And Demarius. We got Demarius that one. We got him yeah. for one week, then to the bye, and then went to Washington. Oh, jeez. That's one of those things that did not work out. So I talked about it with McLean a bit, but the AAF continues to make headlines on the way they've abused these guys. And I hesitate to use that word, but in a sports context, they certainly have. Guys were heading to the lobby after a game, finding their personal items there, checked out of their rooms involuntarily, the league not paying for travel back home. And then finally the league authorizes the players to be able to play in the National Football League or the CFL. Oh, thank you very much yeah. since you're already in breach of just about everything, including all human civility. So you're going to allow me to pursue a job in another league. Thank you very much. I <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, in fact, Adam Schefter tweeted out about a half hour ago that there has been a player signed from the AF, Keith Reeser, cornerback from the Orlando Apollos, uh, the self-proclaimed AAF champs. As Steve oh, Spurrier right. said, he claimed they were the champs, and Reeser just signed with the Chiefs. So he now Reeser played in the league for a little while, yeah. NFL, yeah. not the AAF. He played well, he played a little while in the AAF too. But he, I believe, that's the first AAF signing that I've seen. But it this Mark, the the secondary leagues that have you know the USFL threw a lot of money and probably could have if they kept it in the spring, probably could have kept things going for a little while. Um, but they wanted to move to the fall league, and that just wasn't going to work. And we've seen, you know, the XFL came and went, and then came back. I think the XFL has come with a different plan. They've got Oliver Luck in charge. They've got a lot of money involved coming from Vince McMahon, and I think they want to do it the right. I think the AAF came along after the XFL, but then decided to play before. I think yeah. thought they tried to speed this thing you through. Know, yeah, they they tried to speed it through. And I don't know I just, if it would have helped to wait, though. Honestly, I don't think it would have been a good idea to open at the same time. It would have been too much. Right. So I respect that part of it. I don't respect abandoning the players the way they have. And to not be able to forecast that, guess what? Yeah. You're not going to make enough money. You don't have enough money. You, this is pretty easy to figure out. Most reasonably intelligent people could figure out you're going to have too much month at the end of the money, and it's going to be difficult to keep this thing going. Well, the coaches, I believe coaches and front office people were told, yes, we are guarantee We guarantee this thing will be going for three years. Yeah, and how do you know? If you're one of those people, how if you're you- a front office guy, you're Bill Polian, whatever, Bill Polian's part of the league, right? 
How do you know? He's co-founder. You could see books, but you don't know. You don't see the bank balance. You know what I'm saying? You well, don't really know until you find out the hard way. Sometimes. That's that's the one part that got me. It's like, yeah, you want to know. If you're going to go talk to Steve Spurrier and say, hey, coach, we want you to. Now, Spurrier might have been only for a year, but you said, yeah, yeah, look, we got enough runway to get us for three years. Come on, we got we got the money. And within one week of playing, they had to go, the Carolina Hurricanes owner had to step in and give them an infusion of cash at that point. So, look, there's going to be a 30 for 30 on this one as well. And it's going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this all goes. And I think it, I've seen a lot of this. And I don't know if I would go this far, but you saw the fire documentary, right? About yep. the fire, fire, festival. fire festival. A lot of people were like, hey, this is the fire festival of football, basically, with, with what's going on, how they oh just gosh. left these players and have the communication or the lack thereof. And it's, it's sad because I know a lot of guys wanted this final shot, maybe, to, to get back in the league, but I can't imagine the number of guys that are – I read about one guy today that was – was tweeting from his car, driving 17 and a half hours back to New Jersey mm-hmm. with no place to go, no place to live. Like, I'm like, whoa. Well, that man. was going to happen anyway. Yeah, it was going to happen weeks. regardless, but so, at least you could co- sort of plan it in a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, a sort of sudden right change in life, if you will. Yeah, no doubt. All right, Johnny, thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Mark. All right, that's going to do it for the show. I'll be on with the Mad Radio guys in the morning at 8 a.m. Johnny, tomorrow night, I'll be on the show as well. And Saturday night at 11 o'clock, ABC 13, it's. Texans 360. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.